0: In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn, and the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. Before this episode starts, we just want to remind you that you can find us on our social media at the Murder Diaries Pod on TikTok and Instagram. There's a documentary that was just released on HBO Max December 1st about this week's victim, Adrian Shelley. Her husband, Andy, says it was made to bring her back to life. So please, please check out Adrian, the documentary on HBO Max. We hope that by using it as a main source for today's episode, credited in the show notes as always, uh, that we too will have a part in helping Andy bring his late wife's legacy back to life. November 1st, 2006, Greenwich, New York. 40-year-old screenwriter and actress Adrienne Shelley is at a secondary apartment that she rents to use for writing for her work. It's a space where she can get a peace of mind away from the busy life of being a mom to a three-year-old and a wife. When her husband returns home, he sees that Adrian has not returned yet. He calls her and gets no answer. It was the start of his worst nightmare. He quickly goes to the apartment and finds Adrian hanged in the bathroom. It may have looked like a suicide at first glance, but her husband knows there was more to the story. Something unthinkable had to have happened to her. This is the story of Adrian Shelley. Adrian Shelley was born Adrian Levine, June twenty fourth, 1966 in Queens, New York, to Sheldon Levine and Elaine Longbaum. Sheldon, her father's name, is actually where Adrian derived Shelley for her stage name. She grew up on Long Island after her family moved there when she was about five years old. An article featuring Adrian from 1996 by Tim Rise for Movie Maker writes of Adrian, quote, like most interesting people, Adrian Shelley is a package of contradictions. She is at times painfully shy, at other times disarmingly outspoken. End quote. Another quote describing Adrian from that article, she's the ultimate insider's outsider an artist who could take full advantage of high-profile, independent film career, who chooses instead to blaze her own trail toward her own brand of fulfillment. She's been patient and methodical, and with the acting offers still coming in and the directorial career taking off, she's just about where she wants to be. Adrian began acting at a young age, and she actually started acting while she was at a day camp. Uh, the camp was casting for production of Peter Pan. Adrian, although very shy at this point in her life, according to herself in her interview for Movie Maker, um, she wanted to be Wendy, and she actually requested, hey, I want to be Wendy. Let me be Wendy. She was very young at the time and was quite a petite child. At the camp counselor that she asked if she could be Wendy um, and was in charge of the show said that, you know what, right now you're too small, you're too young for Wendy, but they did go ahead and cast her in a role that um, Adrian actually couldn't quite recall in the interview. She said, quote, I was really bummed because I really wanted to play Wendy. So they made me a lost child or something and thus it began. I always wanted the bigger part even though I was really quiet in real life. She continued her acting pursuits and at age 10, Adrian acted in a production while attending a performing arts camp. An agent was In the audience at one of the showings, and they told her parents that Adrian had recognizable talent that might actually lead to a career in the industry and specifically in acting. Her dad, Sheldon, however, was not into Adrian becoming a professional actor and basically dismissed the agent before anything could come of it at that time. Her father's dismissal couldn't stop Adrian's drive to write and act, though. In high school, Adrian performed as an orphan in a production of Annie professionally. That was her first paying gig. Unfortunately, however, Adrian's father would not be alive to see her first professional acting moment as he passed suddenly when she was only 12 years old. By the time Adrian had this first professional gig in Annie, she was already writing too. In the Movie Maker interview, Adrienne talks about productions that she used to put on for her family, as many kids do. Uh, Adrienne would cast the roles and choreograph the whole thing. As high school winded down, Adrian was accepted into some top drama programs, but her mom said no. Adrian doesn't go into much detail in the interview, but it's clear that her mom wanted her to attend a more traditional university. Adrian goes on to say that she is glad that her mom pushed her towards the traditional university route, and she attended Boston University. Adrienne began as a journalism major at Boston University, but then changed majors to a major within the broadcast film department. It really seems like her family was trying to steer her in the direction of a traditional childhood and education, but she couldn't get away from that acting bug. Adrian's parents definitely supported her acting bug by sending her to performance arts camps and things like that. But you're right, they did push a more traditional path for Adrian to fall back on should the acting not work out for her. Despite their best efforts, however, Adrian did not finish at Boston University. Adrian left Boston University her junior year, with just about a year or so left, and headed to Manhattan. In early 1987, Adrienne writes in her journal, Well, I'm doing it. I'm leaving school. It's all done. All of a sudden, I'm taking a huge risk. I face a new jungle now, with strange faces, situations, rejections, and joys I can't even imagine. Four months later, on June 7th, 1987, she writes, Happy June. Happy month of my 21st year. New York has given me much in the four months I've lived here. It has virtually ended the long depression sessions, which were once a signature characteristic. It has taught me a lot about myself that I wouldn't have learned, not for a while, without it. Fortunately, Adrienne had made the right choice. She got her big break starring in 1989's The Unbelievable Truth, and a successful film career followed. She could be seen starring in movies such as Sudden Manhattan and 1990's Trust, among many others that you can check out on her IMDb page. Adrienne's personal life was blooming while living in Manhattan as well. She met her husband, Andy, in 2001 after 9-11. She told a lot of her friends and loved ones that she met Andy while volunteering in post-9-11 efforts, but she'd actually met him on Match.com. This sounds a little ahead of its time. It was. And that's exactly why Adrian chose to tell her friends and loved ones that she met Andy volunteering. Because there was a stigma in those days about meeting a significant other online. I know that there's still a bit of a stigma today, but definitely not to the same degree. I mean, most single people in their 20s are on Tinder. Let's be real. And like our listeners here every week, we met on an app. We did meet on an app and we're super grateful for it. For Adrian and Andy, they went on to get engaged in Paris a year later, and they were married in December of 2002. This made Adrian a stepmom to Andy's two daughters and his son. In 2003, they had a daughter of their own named Sophie. It's an understatement to say that once Sophie was born, she was Adrian's world. Sophie was her, quote, delicious, end quote, baby. For the next few years, Adrienne was living her best life as a wife, a stepmom, a mom, an actress, a writer. She was truly living her dream. As her mom put it, this was her time. She was so alive. That takes us to Wednesday, November 1st, 2006. Andy recalls getting to spend a bit more time than normal with Adrienne in the morning, which was really special to him. The two had a great slow start to their day together and their little daughter, Sophie. Around 9.15, the two leave Sophie with the nanny. Andy headed out to his office where he worked as a marketing exec and he dropped Adrian off at hers along the way. Adrian's office was an apartment in a building that was located in Abington Square Park area of New York City's West Village. The building was located at 15 Abington Square and had just about 40 units inside. Adrian and Andy's home was not far. Their home was located a few blocks away on Varick Street, according to the New York Times. In the evening, Andy returned home around 5 PM. That's where he found the nanny and no Adrian. He was concerned at that and he called her right away. He got no answer. To add to his worries, he hadn't heard from her all day since he had watched her walk into her apartment building. He wasn't able to reach her via email, cell phone, landline, anything. The nanny hadn't heard from her either. Andy got an intuition that this was not good, because as he recalls in his documentary that he directed and produced, Adrian, this was, quote, incredibly atypical, end quote. And now a word from today's sponsor. At 6 p.m., Andy's supposed to go to an event with his friend. Because of his uneasy feelings, he tells his friend, basically, hey, look, we got to go check in on Adrian along our way to the event. She's not picking up or answering me, and I'm worried. Andy and his friend get to the building. She didn't answer the intercom at the building either. He was able to get into the building, and he runs up to the fourth floor where Adrian's office was, and he bangs on the door. There was no answer. He then tries the door handle. He expected it to be locked, of course, but it wasn't. The door opened. This is when he says that the panic set in. He recalls that the room was still. He found CNN on the TV set at low volume. There was also a Snapple bottle open, uncapped, and a mug also remained on her desk. Andy recalls it feeling that there was just, quote, evil in the room, end quote. He ran down the hall and that's where he found Adrian. She was in the bathroom, hanged from the shower curtain rod by a blue bed sheet. Of course, immediately 911 was called. Police respond and Officer Irma Rivera is one of the officers at the scene. She mentions that there was no signs of force entry, The door handle, despite Andy being able to get in, according to Irma, had been locked and everything looked normal. It was not in disarray as you would expect from a robbery or anything like that. Detective James Piccione says that every resident of the building was questioned. No one at that time had any information or anything of note. The autopsy report was done pretty quickly and it was released the next day by the medical examiner. The cause of death? suicide by way of neck compression. Andy did not accept that answer and ordered another autopsy. This additional autopsy was approved by the coroner and police officers. He hired one of the best medical examiners in New York at the time. In an interview for Andy's documentary, Adrian, the medical examiner says that Adrian did have bruising on the face and forehead and injuries to her hand that wouldn't be consistent with a suicide. Andy recalls getting a phone call from this medical examiner back in 2006 once he was complete with the autopsy, and he said that the medical examiner told him she fought like an animal. Forensics came back on Adrienne's computer, and she had been researching a lot about death. The second I heard this on the ID show I watched, I instantly thought, well, she's an actress and a writer. This is easily just a typical search. I'm sure most of our Google searches look similar as true crime consumers. Andy tells that same thing to the police when they mention it to him. He says, look, she's a writer. She researches a lot of different things. I should also note before we get too far away from it that the ID show I watched differed from the Adrian documentary. It depicted that the second autopsy also ruled this a suicide. We, however, with the Murder Diaries are gonna go with what the family has produced and put out there, which is that Adrian fought back, quote, like an animal, end quote. Just like Andy's advocating for Adrian's legacy now, he was continuing to do that at this time as well. And he went to the media and those around him and let them know, this is not a suicide. We are not taking that as an answer. Luckily, police understood that and they looked deeper. They start to question the knot that hung the sheet from the shower curtain rod. It was a very intricate knot. They question Andy about the knot and say, hey, would Adrian even know how to tie a knot like this? This is really intricate. He says, no, she wasn't even a sailor or anything like that. Police also reassess that the doorknob of the door was locked, but not the deadbolt. So even though the door had been ajar and Andy was able to get in, again, the doorknob was locked, but not the deadbolt. This means that someone could have been let in and then locked the door as they left without having a key. Most importantly, investigators had found footprints in the bathroom, and they start to take a second look. In the crime scene photos that are used in the ID show, it shows that there's a footprint on the toilet lid. In the Adrian documentary and some articles, they mention that the bathtub is where a print was lifted from. There is a discrepancy here and we don't have access to the crime scene photos to discern if there were two different prints or if there was only the print from the picture that was on the toilet. But the main important takeaway from this is that there were footprints or a footprint in the bathroom that they were able to lift the print from. There was a list of everybody, including the responders, that were at the scene, so they went ahead and started taking shoe prints from everyone that they knew was on this list. This actually included Adrian and Andy's shoes as well. None of the responders or Adrian or Andy's shoes were a match. This was actually a major turn in the case because now they had a footprint in the bathroom that didn't match anybody that they knew that had been there that day. Detectives ask Andy, is there anyone you know that would want to hurt Adrian? He says, look, there's this guy that Adrian called the wannabe. He was kind of strange. Ask her friend Helen. She knows more. So they do. It turns out that this wannabe guy sort of hunted Adrian down. He was a big fan. He asked her to read some of his work. He had been an aspiring writer himself. When Adrian hadn't made the time yet to be able to read his work, he was aggressive with her when he realized that she hadn't read it yet. She did, however, ask Helen to read it for her, but it just didn't get done. Helen still had Wannabe's script in her possession, so she gave it to law enforcement so that they could actually get his full name. They get his information, and they go to his apartment building. They discover that Wannabe had moved. He moved out of the country to Paris, France. While that might sound incriminating, it was confirmed that Wannabe had left before Adrian's death. Law enforcement all the while was still looking into those shoe prints. They were going all over the city trying to find out what the heck shoe this print would have come from. They finally get a match. It was a Reebok ventilator. They just didn't know if it was a male or a female style of the shoe. Another person of interest came up around this time. It was a woman, an actor, that a production assistant working on one of Adrian's projects had told law enforcement about. This actor had all but been given a part for one of Adrian's projects, but at the last minute, they got a more well-known actor to play the part. While she had all but been promised that part, it was a move that All those involved felt was a better decision for the production. Once police get this information, of course, they see that it could have been a potential motive. They take the actor's headshot around the building to see if anyone recognized her. That's when they got to a door of an apartment that was under construction. In the sheetrock dust, they noticed a familiar footprint. A print that looked a heck of a lot like what they found in the bathroom. And yes, it did belong to a Reebok ventilator. If I didn't know this happened in real life, I would say this is clearly a movie plot. This case is certainly unfolding quickly, just like a movie, absolutely. Police officers now had a matching print in the same building, and they needed to find out who it belonged to. Investigators walk in to the vacant apartment that was under construction, and it appeared that the construction crew was done for the day. Detectives figure out who the contractor is and they speak with him. They ask him who was managing the site at 15 Abingdon Square. He tells them it's a guy named Pilco. They arrive to Pilco's house and it turns out that he was having dinner with the whole crew. Investigators take this opportunity to ask everyone for their work shoes. One detective noticed that there was a book bag as well that had an additional pair of Reebok sneakers in it. They question who the book bag belonged to and they find out it belonged to the foreman's brother, Diego Pilco. He was also there, of course, eating dinner with the group. And now for a word from one of this week's sponsors. Diego was a short man standing between five feet and 5'2". He was about 19 years old at the time. They brought him in for questioning. They found out that he had been in the U.S. undocumented from Ecuador for about seven months. Diego denied knowing or ever even seeing Adrian. But eventually, Detective Irma Rivera noticed that he had a prayer card in his hands during questioning. Irma also connected the idea of family when she found out that Diego had a three-year-old niece. She pulled at his heartstrings with this by explaining that Adrian had a three-year-old daughter and how God may punish him through something bad happening to his niece. Questionable ethically, maybe, but it got a confession. Diego goes on to tell Irma that Adrian went into the apartment he was working on and complained about the construction noise. After the noise didn't cease, he says that Adrian returned and said that she was going to call the cops. It's implied here that Diego didn't want her to call the police because of his undocumented status. He says that an altercation ensued that ended with Adrian accidentally falling and hitting her head, which led to her death. He goes on to say that he stages Adrian's death as a suicide because he had seen someone in a telenovela stage a murder as a suicide. Detectives also learned that Diego was a pig farmer in Ecuador, and that's where he learned how to tie the knot that he hung the bedsheet with. Diego was formally arrested between November 5th and November 6th, 2006. He pleaded guilty to first-degree manslaughter February 14th, 2008. At his hearing that same day, Diego changed his story. He told the judge that Adrian had not complained about noise actually. He confesses that he noticed that Adrian was carrying a big black purse on the elevator, insinuating to him that she had a lot of money. He took mental note of what floor button she pressed and rode up one floor higher. He then walked down the stairs to her apartment in hopes to rob. He noticed the door was ajar and he entered. He wanted to steal her wallet. That just goes to show you, you never know who's watching you. Diego's plan foiled when Adrian confronted him. She reached for the phone to call the police. He said he grabbed the phone away, may have knocked her to the ground according to some resources, and covered her mouth and nose until she passed out. The medical examiner determined Adrian was still alive when Diego hanged her from the shower curtain rod. Diego denied knowing this fact at first, but in court, He admitted to choking her with the sheet as he had set to hang her. On March 6, 2008, Diego was sentenced to 25 years in prison without parole. When his sentence is complete, he'll be immediately deported back to Ecuador. In court, he declared his sorrow and asked for forgiveness. Adrian's family, however, said they'll never forgive him. Andy said that Diego was, quote, nothing more than a cold-blooded killer, end quote, and he hoped that he would, quote, rot in jail, end quote. Diego's earliest possible release is April 6th, 2028, whereas his sentence expires on November 4th, 2031. That's not that far away. It really isn't, but let's remember, he will be deported immediately back to Ecuador as soon as the sentence ends. Adrienne has left quite the legacy with all of her work, and one of the biggest pieces of her legacy is a movie that she acted in, wrote, and directed called Waitress. On the same day that Diego Pilco's arrest was announced, November 6th, 2006, Andy found out that Waitress had been accepted for the upcoming 2007 Sundance Film Festival. For a little perspective, Sundance is usually held in like January, February, very early on each year. Adrian's movie Waitress went on to have success at Sundance Film Festival. It was bought by Fox Searchlight for about 4 to $5 million. What's more is that it drew in 19 million at the box office. In 2007, Andy produced a film that Adrian had written called Serious Moonlight. It was acquired by Magnolia Pictures in July 2009 after success in April 2009's Tribeca Film Festival. The film was then released December 4th, 2009. Adrian Shelley Memorial Garden was created in her memory. It was officially dedicated to her and opened on Monday, August 3rd, 2009. You can find the Memorial Garden on the southeast side of Abingdon Square Park at 8th Avenue and 12th Street in Manhattan. In April of 2015, a musical based off Adrian's film Waitress opened. It moved to Broadway just one year later in April 2016. The music and lyrics are actually by Sarah Borrelius. The musical ran... From April 2016 when it opened until January 5th, 2020. That really has to be the most heartbreaking piece of this case that Adrian never got to see her hard work pay off. So we're gonna say at the Murder Diaries, any of you listening, please help Adrian's light continue to shine by checking out her husband Andy Ostroy's documentary, Adrian, on HBO Max, and watch. The Waitress. It is available for free on Hulu if you have a subscription. Until our next episode, you know where to find us at The Murder Diaries Pod on TikTok and Instagram, at Pod at gmail.com and themurderdiariespodcast.com. And if you haven't already, go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It helps us keep the good content flowing. Your five stars mean everything. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Bye.